Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. My name is Josh, and uh, I get to bring God's word to you. Welcome, and special welcome to anyone joining us for the first time. Um, anyone joining us online today, thank you so much for being here. Uh, today, I, I want to begin our time... Uh, Talking about a clothing brand that was probably one of my one of my favorite clothing lines growing up. Um, I'm a child of the '90s. This was a brand that uh, was famous back then. It was called No Fear. <laughs> and this was like a brand. It was you know it was geared towards extreme sports and stuff like that. And and you know it was kind of it was kind of a little bit rebellious. I wanted to be a little bit rebellious. I tried to be a little bit rebellious growing up. And, and, and so yet, um, as, I've, as I've aged, I've started to question the no-fear philosophy of life just a little bit. Um, started to realize my own age. And, you know, having kids will do that to you, of course. But I, I've started to just question, um, no fear? Really? No fear. And so I think this is probably the better version of the clothing line. Should have a question mark there. Um, and there's one thing in particular that kind of led me to second guess this. And uh, it, it happened while uh, my wife and I were on vacation. We, uh, we were, um, in fact, this last summer, we got to celebrate 20 years of marriage. 20 years of marriage. Thank you. Thank you. And so um, I figured that uh, anyone that could put up with me for 20 years deserves a really nice vacation. So we saved up. We, we I, I, I took her, <laughs> thank you, that's right. So, so I, got, I heard some nudges on there. But um, uh, so we, we got to go away, just the two of us, no kids involved. We went to, yes, amen to that, right? We went to, we went to Maui for a week. I know, I know, it's still... I'm still amazed by it, and I'm kind of sad that I'm home. It was only a couple months too short. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yet, the, on, on the first day there, we went to, I believe, maybe the greatest beach ever. I, I think this beach is called Onaloa. Look at this beach. Look at this beach. It, this is an actual picture of the beach. It is, it's uh, popularly known as Big Beach. And I believe that when God was creating beaches, he probably made this one first and then realized that I, I can't make all of them equal. And so every other beach is a lesser version of this one. Okay, so now, like, if, if Plato would say this is the form of beaches, this is exactly what a beach is supposed to be. At least that's what I've thought before this trip. Because we were, we were there, we were there for, oh, it was about five, six hours just enjoying the water, the ocean. Now, um, it just so happened, though, on this day, there was a very large shore break. Okay, if you know what that is, that means that the waves are kind of crashing right on the ocean. Look at that. Right on the sand. Bigger waves than this, but that is a beautiful picture. Uh, waves, huge waves, just crashing right on the sand, which meant that if you could get past the waves... You just go past the wave a little bit, and then you just float majestically in the warm Hawaiian waters. Huh. So nice. And so I did that a bunch. I was out there just floating, just floating away. My wife was reading a book. So now, 
I have to point out, though, that at this beach, if you, if you look closely, I'll have to zoom in, you can see that there's a lifeguard stand. Um, lifeguard stand, these were very vigilant lifeguards on this day. They saw big waves, and they had their loudspeakers, and every so often they would break up the peaceful experience by making announcements saying that this is a very dangerous beach. This is a beach that, uh, in fact, they said this beach is responsible for more injuries than any beach in all of Hawaii. And I thought to myself, oh, isn't that cute? (laughs) They're making this announcement for the people from Iowa who've never been in an ocean before. They don't know waves, but I'm from Southern California. I know waves. I'll be fine. And so I went on out. And I made the mistake of inviting my wife in the water. Now, my wife, um, being much smarter and more wise than I, she hesitated but I can be pretty convincing when I want to be. And so I I talked her into coming out just at the moment when the largest set of waves started coming in. One wave took us both out. The next wave was even bigger than that. We were tumbling and turning and under the water at some point, she stuck out her left arm and my wife's shoulder dislocated. And so we spent the first night in Hawaii in the ER, which is very nice, by the way. If you're going to be in an ER, I recommend that's the one to be in. But I bring this up today not just because I need to make a public apology. Sorry. But because, because our passage today is all about fear. And this is what made me kind of second-guess my life decisions. Maybe I shouldn't have no fear when it comes to waves. And I think today what we're going to see is that in our passage, it's a passage about fear. In fact, Jesus' only words are about fear. In fact, what we have today is Jesus repeating the command that is the most common command in all of Scripture. Do you realize that? If I were to ask you what the most common command in Scripture, you might think about some of the Ten Commandments. Those are commands. You might think about the great commandment, like to love God and love people. But i got to tell you, those are not the most common command in all of Scripture. The most common command are two simple words in, in the Greek language, and it is don't fear. Have no fear. Fear not. Literally, it could be translated, no fear. And yet today, I want to kind of ask the question, what is meant by that? Is it really no fear? Or should we be asking the question, really, no fear? That's what we're going to look today. We're going to kind of respectfully question, is it okay to not have any fear? We're going to see how this plays out together as we look at John chapter 6. And what we're going to see today, though, is that Very simple lessons, really kind of a, there's there's nothing super profound about this statement. And this is, this is it, that, that fear can be overcome by faith. Fear can be overcome by faith. We're going to see how that plays out. And I think we're going to see a very interesting relationship between these two words, fear and faith together as we open the scriptures. And so uh, as we open in my Bible, above verse 16, it just says this, Jesus walks on water. 
And so this is a very familiar text that we have today. Uh, this is a text that is a, a story that is told in three Gospels. Okay, Matthew and Mark also tells this story. So does John. John has the least amount of details. So John doesn't tell us about Peter walking on water. Okay, that would have been about the same time. Um, but John just leaves that part out. John's details are very succinct. He's focusing on one point, and one point only, and that is Jesus' words to not fear. We're going to see how that plays out together. So let's jump in to verse 16. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, Jesus wasn't with them, so the question, the bigger question, like where was he? Well, if you look back in the verse just above there, in verse 15, you'll remember that the passage that we studied last week was Jesus feeding the 5,000. In all three Gospels that tell this story, it happens right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. So this was the very next thing. But John tells us that after he fed the 5,000, this happened. It says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Don't you hate it when people make, try to force you to be king by, by force? You know, it's, it's terrible. Um, what a drag. But, but Mark and Matthew tell us that, that Jesus sent the disciples on the water to go in a boat, to go on their way, so that he could have some time alone. They tell us that he was there praying. And I think just to, to start us off, the, the heart of Jesus, at the moment when he was experiencing the, most, experiencing the most praise from the people. They'd seen this amazing miracle. He's getting all the adulation, all the kudos from the crowd. And at that moment, he decides, no, I, I can't take that anymore. I don't want to be around people. I need to go be with my father. And he goes off and he prays. What a beautiful statement about who Jesus is. However, meanwhile, the, his disciples were on their own. And verse 18 tells us this. It says that the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, here's where our, our English translations are trying to um, translate some words that are um, a little bit difficult to translate. The, the words that John in particular uses here are kind of infused with like a personifying the, the wind and the waves. Literally, he says that the 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 waves woke up, that they awakened, is what he's saying, like they, as if they were alive. So we've got, you know, we've got some woke waves going on here. Because of this word strong, is, it's kind of got a spiritual tone to it. It's, it's like a, a surprisingly strange is the word, that, that there are these strange winds, these weird winds. So we've got woke winds and weird waves, Okay going on here that are, that, are, that, are, that are coming together to make a difficult situation. And these potentially spiritual forces, John seems to be implying that, are, that are going on there are compounded by a, a lake that is prone to this. Now, we call this the Sea of Galilee. Okay? It's still sometimes called the Sea of Galilee. However, often, if you go there, it's called Lake Galilee. This is a real place, um, but it is not a sea by our terminology. We typically call sea a big saltwater body, right? But this is a freshwater lake. In fact, it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's at 700 feet below sea level. It's actually just about 80-some miles 
um, north of the Dead Sea, which is a saltwater lake sort of thing. Um, this is really low, and it, this, the conditions of that cause for all sorts of problems. So cool wind blows off of the Mediterranean Sea, and it comes down into this valley, this valley, and it mixes with the low pressure there that creates all sorts of wild winds that just churn up the waters. And, and it can do it in times where you're, you're not prepared for it. So it just happens on the spot, and, and it's hard to predict. And so, sure enough, these, these disciples, they went out thinking that this was a calm day. And we know that because no one would go out on the lake at that time of night unless they were pretty sure they could get from point A to point B in a relatively safe time. However, something went wrong. Went quite wrong. It says this. When they had rowed about three or four miles. Okay, let's stop right there. They rowed a boat three or four miles. Have you ever tried rowing a boat before? It is a lot of work. Have you done the, even those machines at the gym? Like, oh my goodness, do it for like 30 seconds. I'm, uh, that's, that's enough of that. Three to four miles. But it, that doesn't even capture it all. Because uh, uh, Matthew and Mark will tell us, that, uh, tell us that it was in the fourth watch of night. This is Matthew. In the fourth watch of the night that Jesus ends up coming to them. The fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. So they left when it was almost dark, and they're still rowing. They've only gone three to six, three to four miles, sorry, in nine hours. Nine hours of rowing. They're exhausted. And there's this there's weird, strange winds going on that they can only kind of put spiritual, almost demonic forces, attribute those to demonic forces. And then, that's when John just tells us they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And John just says, and they were frightened. <laughs> just the facts, they were frightened. However, we have to remember that they had no idea that this was Jesus at the time. Okay, so this is where uh, I find, I find um, Matthew's version a little bit more helpful because he says, they were terrified, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Of course they did. Because there's this, there's this weird spiritual thing going on where they're getting scared. They're getting, running out of energy. And then they see a ghost. This is a scary their, their, their fear is up to a 10 at this point. But verse 20 says, but he, okay, remember, they thought it was a ghost, but he, this object, this person walking on water said to them, what's wrong with you? Why are you so scared? Don't you know? Haven't you seen that I've done all these miracles? What's wrong with you people? Come on, disciples, aren't you with me here? <laughs> no. Jesus doesn't berate them. Jesus doesn't shame them for their lack of faith. In fact, he just gives them a reason to have faith. He says, it's I. Don't be afraid. 
It, it, it's me. I'm here. As I say, guys, I get it. This is a scary situation. But, but just know, I'm, I'm here with you. The one that you know, you don't have to fear. The one thing we need to see here is that Jesus is not suggesting that we should never fear, but that he is the one that can help us overcome fear. That fear can be overcome by faith if we put our faith in him. And here, he, here's how I would suggest this relationship between faith and fear works. And it begins with this, that faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is not the absence of fear. There, there is fear in life. In fact, I think they work together in a unique way. But sometimes when we talk about faith and fear, sometimes we kind of make it a little too simplistic, as if one is the opposite of the other. As if you, have, if you show any fear, then that's obviously not a person of faith. And that's just not the way that the Bible talks about it. In fact, I, I know this because there's at least one fear that is highly encouraged in the Bible. We're encouraged to have this fear over 300 times throughout the pages of Scripture. And that is the, the fear of God. The fear of God. In fact, it, Proverbs tells us that the fear of God is both the beginning of knowledge. In order to know anything, you've got to have the fear of God. It's also the beginning of wisdom. The, the, the fear of God is a good thing. In fact, um, I love this in Deuteronomy 5. This is the voice of God the Father speaking to us, speaking to his people. And he says this. He says, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commandments always. Get this. Get why God wants fear. God's not just up there trying to be scary. He doesn't want you just to be like trembling in your feet all the time. No, he says, so that it might go well with them. He wants the best for you and their children forever. That the fear of God is actually good for us. We actually need it. He doesn't want you to live in a constant state of fear but he wants you to fear what is appropriate to fear. There are things in life that are appropriate to fear. I think, I think that even, even Jesus might say, Josh, it's appropriate to fear a really big wave. It's appropriate. I mean, let's think about it. I, I, it's appropriate. I want my kids to fear oncoming traffic. I want them to fear, you know, vehicles, 2,000-pound vehicles moving 60 miles an hour. Be scared of that. I, I want my kids, I want my kids to, to fear some of the, the dangers and the entanglements, both, both physically and emotionally, that come with premarital sex. I want them to have a healthy view of that. So it's not just as simple as... Fear, bad. Faith, good. It's not. There's more to it. In fact, Philippians 2 will tell us this. It tells us, encourages us as Christians to continue to work out your salvation. Continue, work on it. And, and with it, add some fear. And while you're at it, let's just throw in a little trembling just in case, okay? Make sure that you tremble a little bit as you're continuing to live. 
that this is a part of what it means. So it's not that faith is the absence of fear. There's more to it. In reality, I think faith is often the impetus. Sorry, fear is the impetus towards faith. That, let's just face it, some of us are here today because at one point we had some fear. I mean, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you, I'm sure, might. Because how many of you came to Jesus at one point, you trusted in Jesus, you prayed the sinner's prayer because you were a little bit fearful of hell? That, that's me. That's me. There, there's fear there. I didn't like that. That sounds bad. I want to avoid it. And so I'm going to trust Jesus instead. Now, um, some of you in here, you, you, you had kids. And you're like, uh-oh. What do I do with these things? I, I better get back to church. You were, you were scared and you came to church. Anyone, anyone? Some of you, some of you it, was, it was just a, a Sunday school teacher that you were scared of, right? Amen? <laughs> Pastor that yelled too much. I don't know. Um, fear can be an impetus towards faith. And this is what happened with the disciples. They were scared out of their minds. But Jesus doesn't chastise them. He offers them an opportunity to face the very thing that they were most afraid of and trust him. And that's because the, the second kind of point in this relationship between faith and fear is that faith is trust in the face of fear. That in some ways, faith cannot be fully separated from fear. Because if you, if you didn't have any fear, would faith even be a virtue? It would be easy, right? Everybody would be doing it. Huh. Faith is trust in the face of fear. I wonder if you, have you ever been, have you ever been rock climbing or like, or, or zip lining or, or, um, or anything like that where, you know, doing rope, ropes course Things like that where you have to, you have to put your, your trust in this little piece of webbing that they call a harness that goes around you and this rope that's about that thick and some gear. And not only that, but you're putting your faith in a college student that's holding the rope, right? <laughs> you're done this game. The worst to me, I think the most like counterintuitive, like, thing in the world is repelling. Anyone done this before? This is where you get all wrapped up and you get tied into things and then you go backwards over a cliff. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. Now, I, <laughs> no, it's not. So, I, I can believe that the rope is, is strong enough. I can believe that the gear is there. I can even believe that the kid knows what he's doing. but I'm not, I'm not trusting it until I lean in. I lean into it and let the equipment and the people do their work, right? That's when I'm trusting. When in the face of fear, a, a real fear, a fear of falling, okay, not, not fear of falling, fear of landing, right? <laughs> That's the fear. And it's a real fear. And I think we should have this fear. And yet... We trust in the face of fear. And I think that's what's going on here. When Jesus said, it is I, 
do not be afraid. He's saying, it's, it's me, you guys. You can trust me. I don't think he's denying the reality of fear that they were experiencing. But he's saying, because it's me, you don't need to fear. Because it's me, let me help you overcome your fears. And, but that's key here. Because they say after this, or it says, John tells us, that then they were glad to take him in the boat. Okay? All we hear is his words. And then they're glad to take him in the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Here, they, I mean, it, the problems are solved. No more, you know, on, the rowing is done. Jesus gets in the boat and they're glad to have him here. And I think this is why this is actually more a passage about faith than it is about fear. Okay, fear is mentioned a couple times in this passage. The word, the word faith is actually never used. Um, John uses the word faith 98 times. It's a verb that he uses 98 times. He actually doesn't put it in this passage. However, I think this passage is illustrating what faith looks like. They were glad to let him in the boat. But here's where I've got to tell you. Um, earlier, I said the kind of the main point, a very simple point, fear can be overcome by faith. Now, you might expect a preacher to say that a little stronger. Maybe like, fear will overcome your faith. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to worry. Fear will definitely overcome your, sorry, faith will overcome your fear. (laughs) One of those. No. (laughs) You'd want someone to say that a little stronger. And yet, I was intentional about this that fear can be overcome. It might. It won't always. And that's mostly because I think, I think we tend to put our faith in a lot of the wrong things. Even sometimes as Christians, we put our faith in some of the wrong things. Faith itself Faith itself, I want to say this in maybe a strong way, faith cannot save you. See, I believe actually everybody here at some level has faith in something. And that faith does not save people. I think people put their faith in all sorts of wrong things. Okay, to be honest, and to my shame, I believe that Beth put her faith in the wrong people at the beach. Her faith should have been in the, the guys with the red you know, shorts on, right? The, the lifeguards who knew what they were talking about instead of this guy. Not, not to blame her. It was totally my fault. But we put our faith in the wrong things at times. And so before you take a picture of this and say, whoa, Josh is speaking heresy, let me, let me finish this statement. Because um, here's the truth of it. The Bible actually doesn't say that faith saves. It is by grace you have been saved. It is God's grace that saves you. Yes, faith is involved. Yes, we've got to have faith. But it is God's grace, which is a gift. It is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. That is what saves us. And so it's rightly directed faith. 
that's, that changes everything. And so it's not faith that can save you, only faith in Jesus can. It is only faith in Jesus. And that's why, that's why John puts this story in his book. That's why John puts these six verses, such a, a short version of this story. But if you remember, we've been saying this time and time again as we talk about John, that John had a purpose for what he wrote. John's gospel is the most crafted, it's the most put together. He chose the stories intentionally, and he didn't choose that many signs. But John tells us at the end of the book in John chapter 20, verse 30, he says that, that Jesus did many other signs. But these I have written so that you might believe. And in believing, you might have life in his name. And so the, the, the sign was pointing to life. And this one, the sign of life, as it were, the sign that proves that Jesus is the one that can give us life is that Jesus can walk on the water. But I got to admit, I don't think that rings as powerful as it would have been. Because to be honest, I think I've been guilty of this. I've kind of thought about Jesus walking on water as kind of like a party trick. As if like, hey guys, check me out. I can walk on water. Nah, 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 nah. But Jesus never, never does that. In fact, at one point, I think in Mark it is that he, he's going to just walk by. <laughs> he's going to keep going. And they're like, wait, stop. It wasn't about that at all. But the question still remains, why is this so important? Why does John put this in his book? I think it's because one very particular reason. And that is, has to do with the way that people understood the sea. They understood waters. And this, for this, we just got to get into a mindset, a first century mindset there. You see, um, John didn't include this story just to be an example for us, okay? So this isn't just saying, hey, you know, Jesus can be there for you as well if you're in a situation like this. Because then the problem becomes is that th that applies to you in, in the, the situations which you may find yourself in when you're rowing a boat for nine hours and a ghost comes on the, on the water, right? In those situations, then this would apply to you if it were just an example. It's more than that, though. This is a statement about who Jesus is. And Jesus is the person who can walk over the waters. And so the waters in kind of ancient thinking, the waters have always been a scary place. Always been a place of the unknown, of question marks, of, of, of not being sure. It's a dangerous realm. In fact, in those days, the waters would have been synonymous with a word that we still use about it called the abyss. Now, the abyss is the place of darkness, the place where the powers of darkness live, and, and that's where they come from. In the book of Revelation, the beast comes out of the sea. Okay, and the figurative language of that is saying that the beast is coming from the abyss. In, in Luke chapter 8, there's a story about Jesus healing the, the demon-possessed man who had a legion of demons in him. Okay, he's chained there and he's yelling, and Jesus casts out the demons, and the demons say to Jesus... 
You remember this? Jesus, the, the demons actually speak back to Jesus and they say, don't throw us into the abyss. And Jesus, as nice as he is, he says, all right, fine, I'm going to throw you into some, some pigs. The pigs, though, they weren't as nice. They just immediately run off the cliff into the abyss, into the sea. Those words are interchangeable there. And see, this is what's happening. The sea is a dangerous place. It actually still is today. We know, we know less about the sea, the floor of the sea, than, than we do of the surface of Mars. Still today, boats go off, submersibles go off, and they just don't come back. It's a dangerous place. Those days, it was even more dangerous. All throughout scriptures, especially in the book of Psalms, we hear language about the roaring waters and the chaotic, the chaotic nature of the sea. And Jesus rises above it. This is Jesus declaring, declaring that he's made the sea his footstool. All the powers of darkness, all the fears that we face, he's saying, oh, no, 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 I walk over them. You see, uh, Moses and Joshua, they, they had to part the seas in order to walk on dry lands. Cool miracle. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, I don't need to part the seas. I can walk on them. When we say that Jesus can walk on water, what we're saying is, what John is trying to tell us here is that all your fears, all your problems, Jesus rises above them. He can walk over the chaos. Jesus advances over the abyss. He marches over the madness. He strides on our suspicions. He struts on our scares. He high steps over the horrors, prances on the panics, power walks over our predicaments. He tramples over the terrors of our lives. He tromps on our trepidation. He dances on our dismay. That's right, he wanders over our worry. Jesus treads over and above it all. This is who Jesus is. And it's because of that, it's because of that we can trust him. See, faith is not just a noun. It's not just something that you just have. It's a verb. It's something you do. It's something you live. And for faith to be a verb, it has to have an object. I faith in something. And what I've been saying all along, we faith in a lot of things. We believe in a lot of things. But what I want to suggest is that the only worthy object of faith is the one who strides above it all, is Jesus. Oh, I, I miss some. I miss some. These are good ones. Because here's the thing. The, the, <laughs> the, the, in, in Scripture, okay, we have the chaos of the waters. But on page one, verse two, it tells us that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The waters are not the enemy's territory. God, the spirit was there from the beginning. Job tells us, Job tells us that he alone, speaking of the father, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And Jesus is proving Job right and saying here, the son of God treads on the seas. All that you fear, he treads on. And that's why he's the only worthy object of our faith. 
He is the one who strides above it all. And so the question that we're left with, though, the, the question that this text brings up is a question that everyone needs to face. Because it really, it has to do with fears. Like, um, all of us came in here today with different fears of some level. Okay, whether it's about, you know, ourselves, it's about the future, about finances, about, um, about health, about the health of a loved one, about the salvation of a loved one. There, whatever it is, we come into a place like this with fear. And the question that the text leaves us with is a simple one, is will you be glad to welcome Jesus into the boat? He's calling out and saying, I know, I know that you're scared. I know that you don't know what's going on. I, don't know, I know you know, don't know what's going to happen. But hey, guys, it's me. I'm here. I can be here in the midst of your fear. And I will walk above it. The question is, we're going to let him in the boat. I think it's a question that everybody needs to ask. I want to close our time by inviting you into the story a little bit more. In fact, I want to close our time. You can put everything away. And, and I want you just to listen as I'm going to kind of retell this story. I'm going to read some of it and then retell the story. And I want you to put yourself in the story. I want you to think about the sounds and the smells and the, and the fear even that you'd be experiencing in this story. So let's, if it helps you, just close your eyes and imagine yourself here. The text says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed and worked for three to four miles, they saw a figure walking on the water. In the midst of chaos, of a, of a storm that just seemed supernatural, that seemed demonic, they see a figure walking above it. All of their assumptions about what had gone on, this was almost normal because it was, it was just a scary place. And sure enough, there's, there's a, a ghost about to take them. They are scared. They're in fear. I want you to put yourself in that place. And now, now, instead of a, a boat on water, wild winds and crazy waves. I want you to think about whatever it is in your life that is causing you fear. Whatever is making you worry and anxious right now. I want you to put yourself there. And just reflect. Sit with the fear for just a minute. Let's let the, that fear be the thing that leads us to faith. And 
hear the words of Jesus say to you, it's me. You don't need to fear because I am with you. Because I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. With you in your fear. Listen to his voice. Now, if you're willing, with joy in your heart, you gladly welcome him in your boat. Welcome him to join you in this journey, to be there with you. He doesn't, he doesn't promise to give you all the answers, but what he does promise is that he will be there with you. And so, Jesus, we come before you, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one that rises above it all. That you are greater than all of our fears. That even the powers of evil and of darkness, you tread on them. They will not sink you. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us the faith to trust you in the face of our fears. And Lord, would we be people who fear the right things so that it will be go, go, go well with us. Help us to fear you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.